Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph, in Montreal. Thanks for being with us. This is the 134th edition. On the program today, I'm going to be sharing a conversation that I had with Kazembe Balgun, who is a community organizer and educator. Kazembe has worked with the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, has done grassroots organizing in black liberation movements, struggles, campaigns in New York City and beyond. I got to know Kazembe during the time that he was an educator and events organizer at the Brecht Forum in New York City. I thought it would be interesting to talk with him about the presence today of Frantz Fanon. His organizing work has intersected a lot with the ideas that Frantz Fanon expressed in works like The Wretched of the Earth. This conversation touches on contemporary moments of social movements and struggles for freedom, looking at these ideas in the context of Black Lives Matter, and critically reflecting on ways that at this contemporary moment, we can learn from past generations, both in terms of the articulations of ideas, but also how tactics, strategies, and reflections can pass between experiences and across generations. So here's my conversation. Your work has touched on so many both historic struggles, uh, but trying to connect contemporary movements for liberation, for black liberation with intergenerational narratives and also intergenerational networks of resistance. You've talked about and written about Frantz Fanon and the importance of connecting contemporary struggles to historical anti-colonial movements. If you could just first introduce yourself and, and share a bit about your work of trying to create these dialogues across generations and why it's important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're very generous and thank you so much for your time. Uh, my name is Kazim Balagoon. I'm originally from Harlem, New York. Um, I was born there um, and grew up in New York. I currently live in the Bronx, um, in Co-op City, you know, and um, basically like my work as an activist has been one of like, I've worked as a journalist. Um, I've worked as a student activist. Um, I've worked as a public programmer, you know, um, someone who, who organizes public events. Um, most recently, the past 15 years, you know, initially with the Breck Forum, which was a, um, a Marxist, like, you know, movement cultural center in the West Village here in New York City. Um, and, and, you know, where, you know, we had, you know, basically, you know, during my tenure there, like eight years, we had produced about 300 events each year. Um, and, you know, with, with me, a Pacific focus for me was around the Black Liberation Movement. Um, at that time, when I started in 2007, 2008, you remember that was around the time of the kind of like bubbling of like, you know, the Black Movement. You know, it was post-Katrina. Um, it was, um, it was um, pre-Obama, you know, and so there was a lot of like national formation happening, a lot of Black consciousness happening um and so you know as you know as so as i was you know and i was in my 30s at the time so i was actually working with a lot of like people in their 20s and so what i found what i was is that, that my position was a little bit like a you know what what you know what we call down here a yelder 
a young elder, you know what I'm saying? And somebody who was like, because I was raised by, like, you know, when I was when I was active, you know, when I'm still active, but a lot of my mentors came out of the, the Black Panther movement, the Black Liberation Movement, Black Liberation Army, uh, folks like Ashanti Austin, um, folks like Kaila Mbabero, um, you know, like, like those people. Um, and, and not only that, not do that, but also a lot of people came out of the new left. Uh, folks who came out of the new communist movement, folks who came out of the anarchist movement, and certainly people who were very influential with me um, came out of the Puerto Rican, it's called for Puerto Rican liberation. Um, you know, and, um, you know, and, you know, I can talk more about that, but, um, but more, more generally, what we found was that, um, you know, the necessity of building bridges in our movements um, across, um, you know, generations um, for folks to understand, um, you know, the historical victories for, 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 for black liberation, which is a part of a larger fight for human liberation. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and against, uh, against uh, colonialism and imperialism. Um, but then also, um, uh, uh, you, know, um, you, know, you know, learning from the young people as well and, you know, their, their struggles and understanding the, new, the role of technology, the role of, like, community building that they were engaged in. Um, later, um, I worked for the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung, which, is, um, which was a... Um, you know, a political foundation of the left party. I won't bore you with the details, but just to say that, you know, that, that allowed me the space to think about this stuff a little bit more internationally and thinking about the role of the, of, of, of the black movement here in North America and the impact it had in Europe and places like Europe and in, in Brazil. So you're talking about like, you know, the, 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 the black, the civil rights movement, black, black, black power movement, black liberation movement, you know, then reflecting itself back to us, you know, in places like Germany, we have the, you know, the initiative of blacks in, in Germany, um, the black archives in, in, um, in, uh, in Netherlands, um, you know, um, you know, the, the, the movement, the, you know, saying the movement for black lives in Brazil, you know, all throughout Europe, all throughout the South America, there's a rising black consciousness. And, um, and what we found was that the, the rise of black consciousness was also found foundational in terms of rise of gender consciousness and the rise of women consciousness and the rise of LGBT consciousness. You have to understand that a lot of times when we talk about social movements, social movements arise out of the fact that we've been locked out of institutions, you know, and so when we're locked out of universities, when we're locked out of colleges, when we're locked out of unions, when we're locked out of schools, you know, we have to create our own institutions. You know, and we have to create our own neighborhoods. We have to create our own, like, you know, associations. And that's, and, you know, and so when we say social movements, you talk about the movements of the people who have been most marginalized from, from, from society, whose citizenship has been a script from society. And so, um, and so that's what you find, you know, it's, you know, from institution building. So part of my work has also been, like, trying to support institutions, um, you know, saying... Um, um, I'm not crazy, but I have been institutionalized. <laughs> I apologize for that. I should have used the term crazy, but you know, uh, you know, you know, you, you get what I say. Um, but also, like, um, um, I've worked with, um, you know, the independent. Um, um, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a gamut of different groups and, and activities that really are about like producing 
um, media, producing public events, producing ideas, um, film, journalism, talks, all of that. You brought up so many strands there, Kazembe. Thank you so much. Um, but maybe I'll just, like, we could focus on one of them, which is sort of, there's been such an interest in understanding the histories of, you know, particular figures uh, from the Black Liberation Movement. Angela Davis has gotten a lot of focus uh, in the context of the BLM protests, which is so uh, awesome to see. Um, there's a movement discussion around the historical um, uh, presence of somebody like Davis, Angela Davis, but there's also movement, uh, there's also mainstream representation, which is very individualized. I'd be really interested in hearing a bit of your reflections around understanding the importance of the collective work, because, you know, these historical figures were always part of broader movements, and they've talked about that directly. You know, people like Angela have underlined their participation in a broader, both international struggle, but also uh, a broader collective movement uh, that that was happening at the time. So I'm, I'm asking this question just because in, in the contemporary context, things can become so individualized, especially through social media. And I know you've worked a lot to try to highlight broader social movement history. Can you can you can you sort of share any thoughts about this and the importance of thinking about, you know, these very amazing individuals, but part of a collective history and why that's important to think about today? Yeah, I mean, when you talk about like Angela Davis, I mean, she's like critical of the way her image is used herself, right? And so she's so she's she's lucky enough to be alive to talk about it. But she has this great essay, I believe it is in Black. Um, black popular culture talked about the Afro, you know, saying and the fact that you know when she goes to talks, public talks, or goes to any event in a prison, a women's prison, or what have you, is always she's always referred to as the Afro, and I think that there's there's a way that that you know black culture gets to be this kind of kitsch, um, gets to be like kind of like not just individualized as you mentioned, but kind of objectified as an object you know, away from his organic roots and away from this context. So, you know, so when we say Angela Davis, a lot of folks will just like, I, I, I have this funny tweet I usually put on, up on our birthday saying that, on Angela Davis' birthday saying that, this is your annual, this is your annual reminder that Angela Davis was not a member of the Black Panther Party. She was a member of the Communist Party. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's important because we tend to lump those things in. Um, we, you know, and you know, we say, oh, she has an afro. She's a member of the Black Panther Party. She wasn't. She was a member of the Communist Party. It's different traditions, right? Different ideologies, um, different trajectories in terms of history. Um, they intersect at some points, but they deflect on other points, right? And I think that that's something that I think is really important to understand is that um, when we're talking about a Black Liberation Movement, like people are right, it's not a monolith. Right, it's a, it's 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's various different it's various differences in regards to um, geography, um, geography in relation to ideology. Um, you know, um, you know, I'm I'm really, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but I really love the work of David Austin because he talks about like the impact of Montreal, you know, and the fact that you know Montreal was just the gathering point for so many Caribbean activists. 
Um, you know, because, you know, it was that's that's where a lot of Caribbean people went. They went to Montreal. Um, a lot of Caribbean people came to New York City. Um, Winston James talks about um, the rise of black nationalists started in New York City as majority consciousness, you know, because people coming from the Caribbean and uh, Spanish speaking Caribbean, English speaking Caribbean were the majority. They were the black majority in their countries. And so when they came to the United States, they brought a consciousness that, you know, no, we're not a minority. We're a majority. You know, saying so, and that and that and that gave that gave rise that 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 simple geography gave rise to an impetus of a, of a certain type of black nationalist thought, right? Um, whereas in like places like California, you know, in the Bay Area, Los Angeles, you know, the black movement, you know, Southern migrant blacks are meeting, you know, poor Mexicans and Asians. You know, and then you have you know a, you know a formation of a of a much more deeper and more richer in a in a, a different like multiracial um, black liberation formation. Um, you know, and this is all to say, and I'm 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 being a little circular. And I apologize for this. You know, but this is all to say is that um, when we're talking about our movements, um, um, I think that in, in I think that in I think that. It's it it's it's is is important for us to to have that understanding that there, there our strength is in our diversity. Um, we can have shared we can we have we can have shared values, and not the same values, right? And you know and so um, you know and there's and there's a specific power in that difference. And even within the black movement, um, there are many different screens. They're like you know the screens are like. You know, influence. You know, people say, you know, you know, you know, black Marxists. But which black Marxists are you? Are you? Are you? Are you like? You know, what? What does that mean? You know, what I'm saying like you say, black anarchist. You know, what I'm saying which screen is that? You know, what I'm saying even within this, even within the ideologies, there's different screens, and they overlap. You know, what I'm saying there's people, there's things that overlap. What I wanted to ask about was just understanding the collective nature of social movements and uh, you know and and thinking thinking about how um the organizing took place in a lot of diverse organizing spaces across you know you talked about the splinters you talked about you know black marxist movements uh even black anarchist organizing uh, ashanti elston but just thinking about how um the sort of social media translation of this history can really personif- be personified through individuals as opposed to an encouragement to think about the broader collective efforts that took place. So what I think that, you know, social media has a tendency to, um, to flatten out um, the complexities. And so what we're getting from social media is a very one-dimensional view. Um, and what we get from social media a lot of times is literally the sound bite, the bite, right? And because you know it's 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 contained within a particular, you know, certain character limit, or even like you know sometimes even like when you put up photos, the photos sometimes are very low resolution. They're not fully. They're not fully. They're not fully, fully fleshed out. The sketches of ideas, right? And so I think that social media is important because it brings people in. It's like it's like um. Is like a gateway drug to radicalism, right? But I think that what happens is that, um, you know, that people tend to eat the social media 
and they're not getting the the full nutritional value of the experience. And the experience is actually being a part of an organization, right? And so black liberation movements are collectives, but not because, like, it's a morally right thing to do. It's because a lot of times all we have in the world is, what I find is a lot of times all I have is, is, all I have in the world is black people. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, and, like, you know, and, and, and getting together with other black people as part of my survival. And so, like, you know, and so, and, you know, and so when we talk about black collectives, that's that's an example of our, our ability to survive, you know, you know, racism and, and you know, and, you know, and, 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 and sexism and patriarchy, you know, um, you know, in, in the very oppressive nature of white supremacy in this country. In our, in our, in all our, in all our contexts, whether it be you know in Canada, United States, or in South America, or Europe, even you know, saying wherever black people are, you know, saying we're facing the exact same thing, you know, black people, you know, black people's um, our press our oppression is collective, you know, like you know, we you know black people face, you know, put um, you know, the way I define racism is that, you know, racism. Racialized oppression is economic exploitation, social degradation, social exclusion from political processes, and personal degradation. You know what I'm saying? And that's something that black people all over the world can identify with. And so as so as our oppression is is a collective and a collective punishment, um, you know, um our response has to be collective. Yeah, say, and then you know, and then and then intellectual, and that that was also means that intellectually we have to be able to create institutions that organize us. You know, um, you know, the the initial learning experience of black people was in the church, you know, or the mosque. You know, um, W. E. B. Du Bois said that um, religion is organized black life. You know, um. And so, you know, and, you know, and so in those churches and those, you know, and now in the mosque, you learn how to read. And then, you know, and then from learning how to read, you created libraries, you created study groups. You know, um, we can go to, we can say now we can go to Barnes and Nobles or go to a bookstore and go to a black study section, you know, but someone had to create that section, right? You know, someone, 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 you know, say some people had to organize and gather up materials to say that this is what constitutes black history, right? And mind you, like, what we consider black history is about 100 years, you know, black, black people have been making history since we've been on this planet, but the actual systematic study of black history, right, you know, as, as you know, as, as, you know, as, as, you know, in, you know, at least in the Western context, is about 100 years old. You know what I'm saying? So... People have been so so, and that and that was a collective process, study groups, that also led to political formations, that also led to newspapers, that led to, you know, the creation of um, neighborhoods, you know, what I'm saying and block associations. All that to say is that that was all expression of the black radical life, right? Tradition life, um, and then we so when you put it when you put say it like that. Then what I would say is that if you're someone who's interested in black radicalism, or black liberation struggles, or any liberation struggle, um, your your duty is to get with other people, to organize other people, and to join an organization. 
you know, into into in, into in you know into wage struggle. You know, saying you can't you can't do this work by yourself. You know, saying like it's, it, this is this is this is a team. Black liberation is a team sport. <laughs> it really is, and we can and we can definitely look at certain people, certain figures that have been influential in terms of thinking, but at the end of the day, they themselves were products of a collective struggle, right? You know what I'm saying? And they will say that. You know what I'm saying? Ashad Shakur was a, was, a, was, a, was, a, was, a, was a product of study groups. You know, uh, Angela Davis, as you mentioned, was a product of, you know, um, a black Marxist collective called the Che Lumumba Club in Los Angeles, you know? These are all collective structures that informed our heroes. Um, you know, um, George Jackson studied, right? You know what I'm saying? Taught. And, then, and that's a big thing, too. Once you know the knowledge, you have a responsibility to patiently go to back to the people and talk to the people. You know what I'm saying? Don't berate them, but talk to them patiently. Because you, you didn't know that information before either. You know what I'm saying? So... That's what that's why I say. So that's a collective work, and that's where it comes into, and it comes into now just the collective work and collective knowledge, but also collective economics, how we share together, you know, how do we share information, how do we love each other, so that type of thing. Thank you so much for sharing this, um, uh, these reflections. Uh, so in the in the contemporary moment, right? Like uh, there's so many strands you brought up, and thank you. Uh, you talked about. You know, I just want to underline one book, um, Living for the City by Donna Murch, uh, because you talked about the, the Bay Area and the migration of uh, black communities from the South to the Bay Area for work and the, the struggles that were formed in that context. Um, and you talked about a, a bunch of different collectives. Going back to the beginning about Fanon, um, and, you know, I know that's been a focus at different points for you, Kazembe. Um, thinking about sort of um, decoding a bit more the collective nature of uh, struggles for liberation, uh, black struggles for liberation, and more generally, uh, transformative movements for change. Um, I just, I would, I guess maybe we can just end with any additional reflections of the importance of movement educating, um, the importance of movement education, um, because, you know, uh, a lot of institutions right now are struggling to catch up with this history, right? You know, we've both been involved in social movement organizing, right? So there was opportunities to learn about the collectives that formed in the, in the 60s and 70s and hear from people like Lorenzo Kumba Irvin or Ashanti Alston and, and hear from them directly um, within the context of activist spaces. But that was always a limited, um, limited space. Um, but I feel like now it's, it's this moment where all these mainstream institutions are trying to catch up to that history. Can you share any reflections about the importance of activists who were involved in trying to uh, share this intergenerational uh, knowledge in stepping up to this moment because it's challenging. How did you you talked about being institutionalized, law, but like how do you deal with that question, right? Like like as a, as an activist, how do you honor the social movement history, but also deal with the fact that like we live in a quote unquote woke era where everybody's trying to like grapple 
in at least a symbolic way with this past, but often it just stops at the symbolism. Yeah, I would say a couple of things. Real, I mean, real quick, I would say like, absolutely, I agree with you. Read Fond Fanon. Read Fond Fanon. Read Fond Fanon. Read Wretched of the Earth. Read Black Skin's White Mask, and read A Dying Colonialism. And I think that one of the things that I really would stress about Fanon is that Fanon is dealing with the question about underdevelopment. You know, and and so you know, and and so when when Fanon talks about like you know, people talk about scratching Marxism in Fanon, and Fanon talks about I'm scratching Marxism. What he's talking about is there's a phenomenon within the black. I would say, you know, he was talking specifically around the African colonial context, but I think a lot of what he's talking about here to be applied to black communities in the West or in the global North as well, and there's this phenomenon in which you have um, this um, underdevelopment of, of black life. You know, and what and I use that term underdevelopment because Walter Lani also uses the term underdevelopment because this is something that's purposely done by colonialists. So in order to extract maximum profits and in order to maintain um, you know, um, you have to understand that black people are profitable for capitalism. You know what I'm saying? Our labor, you know, our purchasing power, but specifically our labor. We were brought here for our labor, right? And so the capitalists, the colonialists, will always seek to underdevelop us. And what I mean by underdevelop us is means that make sure that, you know, we're not organized. You know what I'm saying? They're, you know what I'm saying? Um, and we know that, you know, they, we know they don't want us to be organized because we know that the, the history of the Black Panther Party was destroyed by COINTELPRO. And we know that, you know, like, you know, in Canada, you know, like, you know, the police were also involved in undermining black liberation organizations there. You know what I'm saying? So that's a form of underdevelopment. You know, economic underdevelopment. We know that, you know, black folks, you know, have a harder time like, getting and holding on to capital. Even though we're most, even though we're the most indebted people on the planet, you know, what I'm saying, you know, and so a lot of these like, like you know, debt schemes, you know, are aimed at at, at black folks because we have to go into debt for our survival. Um, and 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 another form of un, uh, underdevelopment is also just within the class structure within the black community. And so when you're talking about like, so when you talk about Fanon's like uh, essay like Wretched of the Earth. You know, he's talking about a twofold situation where, on the one hand, you have this colonial, this 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 African colonial elite that's been trained up in the universities, and then on the other hand, you have this lumpen proletariat, right, who has nothing to lose, has no food, no nothing, right. He says that you know these are people who don't have shoes on their feet. That was a conversation with Kazimbe. Belgun, who is an organizer, educator, and writer. He has worked with a number of organizations, including the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. I got to know him at the time when he was at the Brecht Forum. Thank you so much to Kazembe for being on the broadcast today, for talking about Frantz Fanon, and sharing your reflections on this contemporary political moment. Free City Radio has a new edition every week. We broadcast on community campus radio stations across uh, different cities. CKUT 90.3 FM on Wednesdays at 11. CJLO 1690 AM 
on Tuesdays at 1. These are stations in Giojiagi, Montreal, on CKUW 95.9 FM on Tuesdays at 8 a.m. on Treaty 1 territory of the Métis Nation in Winnipeg, on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario, on Wednesdays at 11.30 a.m., and on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia, on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. You can find our archives at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. We are also on Spotify and iTunes. Just look us up. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll be back next week. Take care.